time for our second hour roundtable on America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. More talking truth about America. And welcome back to America Can We Talk to my fastest two hours of my week every week, every Sunday, 6 to 8 p.m. Love talking to you about America and love doing this show, America Can We Talk. So I have my Right View Roundtable here tonight, and we always at the top of the second hour. And they're called Right View because our views are always right. That's why it's the Right View Roundtable. That's right. And uh, we also have a top of the hour, second hour question. And I wanted to actually talk about the President, President Trump, the President's decision to pardon uh, Sheriff of Maricopa County, Sheriff Arpaio. Um, he, President Trump, issued a presidential pardon uh, of the sheriff, and it was met with a chorus of criticism, of course, by the Democrats and many other groups. But, you know, it's an interesting thing. The president has constitutional power to pardon, and he doesn't have to ask the Justice Department or the opposing party or anyone else what they think. And this is President Trump's first pardon, and his he's been uh, in office, whatever, six months. And so, um, but, you know, the case, the very quick background, which I'm sure you all know, but the sheriff, um, he had a criminal contempt conviction in Arizona, and it was for failing to comply with a district court order from 2011 that basically said to him to stop. I mean, he, uh, Sheriff Joe Pyle, has been famous for trying to crack down illegal immigration. And part of the order related to whether he was making stops that were uh, pretextual to try to 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 try to figure out if he was stopping someone who was here illegally. So he was, you know, and then and then calling ICE to have them removed if they were here illegally. So he was told to stop that in a district court order and apparently continued to do it, although he didn't admit that he continued doing it. He said he thought the order was vague. But anyway, he did get a conviction. He would have been sentenced October 5th. So this is pre-being pre sentenced. President Trump pardoned him. Um, and so I want to know, Lori or Kirby, I don't know who wants to go first. You want was me that- to go first? Yeah. Uh, yes, he did the right thing by pardoning him. First of all, he does have the absolute constitutional authority. So all these lefties that want to whine, 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 saying he's uh, illegal or breaking the Constitution or working against the Constitution or the or against the uh, uh, against uh, laws of the land. It's untrue because this Trump's sorry, <laughs> Trump's Trump trumped everything here in that uh, he does have the right to pardon him. And we're talking about an 85 year old man. This is a misdemeanor. This is the left. They have been after him for decades. We know that trying to take him down because uh, he embodies uh, the uh, really the rule of law standing up against illegal immigration. So right. they have been after him for so long. They got him on a contempt for and it was a misdemeanor. Um, and so they were going to send him away for six months into a prison. What do you think would have happened to this 85 year old man in that prison? Really? What do you think would have yeah, happened? He wouldn't have survived right. is, is the concern. Right. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. So no, I, I think Trump did the right thing. Even though you recognize this is stirring up all this argument about Arapaio's a racist, therefore Trump's a racist. It was still worth it. Yes. Okay. Because I mean, they're going to say it anyway. So, I mean, what, <laughs> you know, why not? You know, why did the founders have this idea of a pardon? And that is they recognized that there would be times where there would be a miscarriage of justice. Uh, just a week ago, I had a chance to interview Judge Roy Moore. You can think about uh, the miscarriage mm-hmm. of justice that he has undergone. Sure. Now I think he's going to win a U.S. Senate seat, and that'll be a great victory. Uh, for the people in the state of Texas, maybe they could think that uh, Ken Paxton fits into that category. The reason you have a pardon 
is that it is way a way that sometimes even when the magistrate misjudges something, a jury misjudges something, you have another means of recourse. Now, let's put this in perspective. How many times have the previous presidents issued pardons? And here, Debbie's going to give us the answer right now. President Clinton did 150 pardons along with other commutations. And his were things like money laundering, conspiracy, importation of cocaine, defrauding a financial institution. These are like major crimes that these people uh, were convicted of that were pardoned by President Clinton. And President Obama, I tried to print out before I got here today the list. It was like 26 or 27 pages long, and I only printed a few to get started. Very similar (laughs) kind of crimes. Um, Things like embezzlement by a trustee, uh, conspiracy, importing a controlled substance. I mean, these are are actual wrongdoing kind of crimes. I mean, they're, they're not... Anyway, so that was the answer, Kirby, but I'm not sure I don't want to interrupt you. No, I think it's a good point because you can see there was a number of individuals on both sides of the aisle that were t- furious with some of the pardons in the latter sure. days given by Bill Clinton. I mean, we are not just talking about Republicans getting upset. We're talking about Democrats saying, Mark Rich, really? I mean, how in the world yeah. did you do that? Yeah. And have you even ruined the Democratic brand because of some of these pardons? This is nothing like that. Although, of course, New York Times and Washington Post will try to make it something. It really is nothing like some of the things we've seen in the past. But even even that being said, Bill Clinton had the right to make all those yeah. pardons. He had the right he to did. pardon Mark Rich. They Obama sure had the right to do all of his. So, you know, we may not have liked them. And, a lot, and again, it goes back to our worldview that we're against that. And the left, it is not their worldview. They are against Joe Opario because he stands for the rule of law and against illegal immigration, and they will forever be against him. I agree with all that, and I only have a few seconds here, so I may, we may come back to this after the break. But I want to mention on this thing, this entire issue of pardoning this sheriff is really related to an underlying issue in the entire presidential campaign. Is enforcing the rule of law against illegal immigrants a racist thing to do, or is it the right thing to do in America? That was really the core, I thought, behind the whole case. So when we come back, we'll keep on talking about Sheriff Joe. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. 
and they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Love, love, love my Sunday nights talking with you. Love having a right view roundtable in the studio with me today, Lori Medina and Kirby Anderson. So the problem is there are more stories than time and, and all, every week, <laughs> eternally. And so uh, we talk in the break, which things to cover. <laughs> We're like, wait, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that. Okay. So I want to wrap up just one or two points made about Sheriff Joe Arpaio. And I will say this. Number one, the point's been made, but it is well worth repeating to your friends who complain about this. This is a presidential power mm-hmm. simply from, for all sorts of reasons the founders felt were justified. And, and I think... Virtually all, if not all, presidents have used it for a variety of reasons. Certainly in modern times, to our modern knowledge, people have have used it. Um, On the subject, though, of the reason of the underlying conviction, it really grew out of, the, the, the case grew out of, the tension between those who are willing to enforce the federal immigration laws and, and those who aren't, 
and who don't want to, and the tension between those who say we need to have a firm, clear standard of citizenship or not citizenship, borders, legal right to be here or not legal right to be here, a rule of law thing. And so what really happened to Sheriff Joe was he finally got snickered and cornered by some people who just do not like this notion that we have immigration standards, and they use the label racist, which is thrown around this country just— impossibly too often and in extremely irresponsible, unethical, just evil ways. The notion that if you want to have a secure border and you want to enforce immigration laws, you're racist. Those folks are the ones that brought about, brought about Sheriff Joe's conviction. And the reason I say all that is this. This I actually do believe in the rule of law, and I do think we have to be careful not to blithely. You can't just have presidents or other governors just pardoning all their buddies, which I think happened more under Clinton and Obama. But whatever, you can't have that power being cavalierly used. But in this particular case, Sheriff Joe was taking the same side that Trump took in this campaign. One of the main points that got him elected, we're going to have a reassertion of the idea of citizenship and legal immigration or not legal immigration, we're going to enforce the laws. And so people say, well, Trump was just rewarding a political supporter. Yeah, a political supporter, Sheriff Joe, who doesn't have two nickels to rub together. He's been a sheriff his whole life. He's not wealthy. He wasn't like some major donor. He was on the same page politically with Trump on this issue, and that's why they got together. That's a different thing than pardoning somebody who somehow funneled a bunch of money to your campaign. So I'm all for it, too, and I think you should be ready to defend this decision because it really is about rule of law. Okay, I'm done on that. Anything, any, any other quick things you no, do before we change you it? Okay, well, as I said, we're jumping around with more topics than time. Um, I did want to um, turn to and talk about something that was in the news this week that we um, that kind of ties into some of the topics we were on this uh, earlier talking with Jennifer Marshall from Heritage Foundation about. And that was kind of... And she didn't talk particularly about Christian faith in America, but she we were just talking about the cultural indicators, the cultural kind of breakdown in America that occurs. And I was making the point near the end that this this breakdown of marriage, this breakdown of the family structure, this uh, growing dependency on government because you don't have family there, this is all a product of emphasis and pushes from the American left to remove the, the role of faith in, in, in American society, the importance, the, the central place of it, not just in your personal right to go to church where you choose to, but the more the broader notion of to carry those values forth. So there was a case, and maybe Kirby wants to take it away in this, but I want to make sure people know what this case was. This is the Ninth Circuit, which actually I think is not really in America. I mean, they're like <laughs> San Francisco, which yeah. is close. <laughs> yeah. Okay, my daughter lives there, and I adore her. But besides mm-hmm. that, okay, Ninth Circuit ruled that a school was actually within its rights and and was permitted to terminate a high school football coach. Because he would, after games had ended, go to the football field while in his uniform, still dressed like a school uniform, uh, school you know team uniform, and and kneel in prayer briefly on thirty the 50, seconds, thirty seconds yes. on on the fifty yard line, and then get up and be. This was a man expressing his faith in public, and the court ruled the Ninth Circuit ruled that he absolutely. Could not do that. And so he was punished by this Washington State High School. And three-judge panel ruled that Bremerton School District was justified in suspending Coach Joe Kennedy 
because he took a knee and prayed silently at midfield after football games. So, Kirby, what's wrong with that decision? Well, first of all, it was only decided by three judges. One judge was put there by Clinton. One judge was put there by Obama. One was put there by Bush. But it turns out that he had actually represented school districts, and he was probably the worst of the three in terms of the decision. Now, the action that needs to go next is do they go to the entire Ninth Circuit, which is called en banc? That doesn't happen very often, but that would be good because then there are, I've heard, at least one or two conservative justice judges there in the Ninth Circuit that could write some opinion, and then that would have a better chance of going to the Supreme Court. This has to because what you're basically saying, the way it is written, is not only was he uh, considered to be unconstitutional, by going to the 50-yard line and kneeling for 15 or 30 seconds. But they also wrote that any religious action that could be seen by any individual. So that means you know what happens when a player gets hurt. Sometimes everyone wants to pray or they hold hands or somebody crosses themselves. Uh, you can anything could be perceived as being religious. There's the old joke that uh, was told by Roger Staubach that it used to be when he would come to the sidelines, uh, he would ask for the next play from Tom Landry, and he would close his eyes and he would look up, and and then eventually give him the play. And he said, you know, one time I just couldn't resist and say, I wondered if God was always calling our plays <laughs> because just by closing his eyes and looking up, it looked like he was praying. I don't yeah. know that he was. He was thinking. But this is the problem. You have a situation now where any religious activity in the schools, if this decision is upheld, that could be seen by any individual could be seen as unconstitutional. And we remember from the Tinker versus Denoy case that uh, at least the students do not lose their constitutional rights at the schoolhouse gate. But it does look like now, if we let this stand, that any teacher, any administrator, loses any ability to do anything that could be perceived as religious, even praying over your meal at lunch. Okay, I have like six points I want to make, but Lori... <laughs> well, no, me too. I know. I'm like, which which point to start with? And... Uh, and thank you for summing it up so perfectly, Kirby. Um, so just think about if this does take hold. Um, who wants to become a teacher or a coach? Who wants to become a public? Who wants to work in a in a public school? Who wants to be a public official uh, in a in the public sector? Uh, quite likely, not Christians, because they're going to have to hold back their faith and not demonstrate their faith in any shape or fashion. They they will be penalized. So again. Back to Jennifer's study of you can't just look at the stats and figures. You have to look at the implications of it. Again, if we take out every single Christian uh, in public schools, even though they may not be able to talk about God in those schools, I can guarantee you they're praying for their children at home or or they have a kind word for them or a compassionate heart towards them, uh, have a, you know, a, a special Christian spirit towards them. Is that what we want, to take them out of it? Of course not. I mean, this just, it, it's a downward spiral. It is a downward spiral. You know, I was going to mention a couple of things. Uh, one was just, you know, the concept, when you think about America's founding and the, you know, the notion of the First Amendment and the protection against persecution that we've allowed Supreme Court jurisprudence to develop over the decades and centuries to where we're actually sitting here talking about whether a coach who was not he wasn't arm twisting other no. players to pray with him. He wasn't saying, if you don't pray, you can't play. Mm-hmm. He was he was simply in a quiet, silent prayer to himself, but visible to his team and to the fans praying. And that was something the court is saying it's okay to fire him for. To, okay. So the other thing I was getting uh, uh, on my jurist, my, my lawyer background is, 
It was a really interesting thing. This needs to go to the Supreme Court. I hope it goes to the en banc uh, Ninth Circuit. I think they need to do that. But either way, it needs to go to the Supreme Court because whoever doesn't win will appeal. But there was a, um, a, a Supreme Court ruling that changed a lot about the rights of public school employees or public employees. And that was the Garcetti decision. And I'm not sure when it was, um, but it was not. I fairly, you know, this Kirby's looking at me. Okay, I mean, it's right here in this article someplace. But the point of it was they changed the uh, the idea of what rights public um, employees had to to um, pray and their, how much protection they had under the First Amendment for religious expression. The holding of it was when public employees make statements pursuant to their official duties, the employees are not speaking as citizens for First Amendment purposes, and the Constitution does not insulate their communications. From employer discipline. So basically, as a person, if you work as you're, you know, as a in a public school or any other public arena and you're in your school uniform or you're acting on behalf of the school, you're not protected in the way you would be uh, by the First Amendment. Uh, you're protected less than the students are. And, you know, the, the broader point, I, I don't know if I'm saying it well or not, but I go back to the, the picture of the founding and these people mm-hmm. saying we're going to get away from persecution, mm-hmm. that we're actually having this discussion. And this is the liberal mindset working its way through America's culture, society, courts, mm-hmm. and saying you're simply not going to have the right to reflect, to demonstrate religion, to show the power of religion in your practice, in your um, job at work. You're just not going to be allowed to do that. We're going to silence you. And then what message students take, communities take, and the fans take, they, oh my gosh, prayer is just not allowed in public. Now I have that straight. All right, we're going to go back to a break because we're down to the wire here, but we're not done talking about this. So you come right back. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony list, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and 
open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. And welcome back. Love talking to you. We're going to jump right back in and talk about this case, the Ninth Circuit. Um, and I just want to say a couple of things about it. Yeah, first of all, um, I mentioned before there was a Supreme Court case that had changed the standard in which uh, the was applicable to um, public employees. And it was not a freedom of religion case. It was a 2006 Supreme Court case. But it did not relate to religion, but it did relate to the right of uh, public employees to speak what they think. And so this con- the concern is that if this case goes to the Supreme Court, uh, whether that case will mean the Supreme Court will think that the, the school district had a right to fire someone for, for taking a knee. Um, the other thing was just interesting uh, on this case, before we roll on to other stuff, um, was the organization that brought this litigation against this person is this school, or they encouraged they backed up the school firing the guy they, the organization that complained about this coach praying is the freedom from religion foundation ffrw freedom from religion foundation they get in the middle of a lot of cases they stick their you know they they send things out saying that it's basically their notion that if any um uh, public venue of any kind public square uh, city council meeting town council meeting you know state legislature anything if anything is public they are against expression of, of faith in those places and so this is a public school and it was a, a coach and you know 
I can see the argument. This may be heresy for conservative to say. I can see the argument in a public school that at some point the expression of religion by teachers or administrators could go too far to where your child felt like, you know, I, I feel like I'm not welcome or comfortable. I, I can't really be there because I feel like I have to, you know, participate in, this, in Christian activities and Christian faith. And, and that's whatever reason not what they are. It can go too far. I want to make that really clear. But I think the left has convinced people in America that the standard should be complete absence of religious expression in every public venue is the only solution. And I don't think that's a constitutional solution or a right solution. There's some place where you can have, as they have found for students in public schools, they are permitted to pray at graduation. They're permitted to pray over their lunch. They're permitted to hand out Bible verses for their Christmas gifts. They are permitted to express themselves and there needs to be some more recognition that the balance in America is not religions vanquished and the, and the standard is not. And, and I could imagine an atheistic parent just saying, you know, I really, really wish my kid didn't uh, feel pressured to embrace the Christian faith. There's it, some standard, but this isn't it. I think this is the next step, because you might remember the Santa Fe case. This was out of Texas, where they actually said that you could not allow students at a football game to pray before the game began. So they wanted a separation of prayer and player. Now, the case before the Supreme Court argued that uh, this is not a religious event, that a Texas high school football game is not a religious event. I question that. They've never been to a Texas (laughs) high school football game. Uh, But that was one where it might have been somewhat coercive in that, you know, most of the kids, while they're having this prayer over the loudspeaker, might have said, well, I should probably should bow the knee or I should uh, close my eyes. This is just the complete opposite because you have uh, Coach Joe Kennedy, who, by the way, is a Marine, said, you know, I fought as a Marine for the rights to actually go to the 50-yard line. And on my own, without any students there, as a matter of fact, at one point, students wanted to come. He said, no, I don't want you to get in trouble. Uh, so he was doing just the opposite of coercing them. He was doing it in a private sort of way. But And as a matter of fact, he didn't do it until they sang the fight song. So the kids' backs were turned. They were singing their alma mater. And then he took a 15-second to 30-second prayer in the 50-yard line. Now, if that is unconstitutional, you can see where this one goes. And I'm concerned because I don't know that the Supreme Court will take this case because usually, as you know, as a lawyer, they like to take it where they get different rulings from different circuits. uh, circuits. We really just have one. And unless the uh, case goes on bonk and then you get at least some of the dissenting conservative justices. Yes, there are one or two over there in San Francisco. Uh, there's really no dissent. And so this is really of great concern to what this might mean, not just for Joe Kennedy, but what it means for any Christian administrator or teacher in any public school. Yeah, the other thing that underlies all this, and then I know, we again, we have too many topics, not enough time, but underlies all this, I think it bears pointing out, is that there has been an effort by the secular left in this country to remove the notion that America was not founded on the separation. I mean, or the effort is to describe America as founded on the separation of church and state, that the left will say it was founded on key, uh, separation of church and state, it was founded on secularism, it was founded on a set of laws, religion had no role, and really it is a, it's a hard balance to continue to apply in every, every generation, in every century, every context, but the, the founding values of America did not come out of thin air, and they didn't come out of uh, worship of the secular or, or you know, following of agnosticism. They came out of, or atheism, 
they came out of, out of the ideas of the scriptures. I, I'm trying not to use the term Judeo-Christian because it gets overused and people just dismiss it, but the values and principles that underlie the Jewish and Christian faith as expressed in the scriptures, that's where America came from. It was the Christian pastors that were preaching at their pulpits that was energizing our founding fathers to do what they did. Right. It was the early Christians in those days that drove the message that that gave the founding fathers the platform to do what they did. To claim that man is has That's innate right. rights That's of freedom right. from God. God-given rights. God-given rights. Not government-given. Yeah. Okay. Actually, you know, last night, Eric and I went to the... I'd like a shout-out to the Kaufman County Tea Party. Had a great annual event last night. Um, and they had uh, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, who was beyond awesome, spoke. Rafael Cruz spoke. Rafael Cruz kind of warmed up the crowd. He made the point... He referred to what lawyers is referring to, that the revolution got started in this country yeah. by pastors just saying, you know, I mean, I wasn't there at the time, but they were saying essentially, you know, you have God given rights mm-hmm. to freedom and liberty. Mm-hmm. Stand up. And they were the black robe brigade. They leave the pulpit. and They get out and they fight. They were part of the fighters. And, you know, he, Rafael Cruz, was referring generally to the the demise of the um, authority, the, the notion that there's there's a right place of authority of the Christian church to participate in the American culture. He just said the left is militant against against this and we need to be militant back we need to be militant to assert what america is he was really he was rousing he was very good and so of course was general boykin okay so uh, we're going to hit on this we i talked last week at great length about the this uh changing of subjects but talked about the um ongoing battle of um, charl i can't get the niche a little bit. Charlottesville, thank you very much charlottesville and the whole battle about the statues and all this happened since and we're going to comment on is how ridiculous this has become, the number of statues that the American left, the, the, um, the Antifa, um, and the other movements are uh, pushing to remove in America. You know, there was a statue removed, just so you know this, in New Orleans, a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee was removed in May of this year, and uh, that was just one time it was toppled, and it was removed because he was, you know, a, 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 he was certainly was a, on the fought on the side of the South and the pro-slavery side. But people, they made a party out of it. They, they had a rally. They were yelling power to the people as the statue was pulled down. But this is, this is 150 years after the Civil War, and this one author estimates there are 700 Confederate-inspired monuments and statues remaining on public property. So... I don't even know where to go with this to say, number one, you can hear the argument, just let them take, just just pacify the Black Lives Matter folks, pacify Antifa. They want to take them down. You know, let, let's just not fight this battle. But I don't think that's the right answer. I, I think you have to start to assert that these statues, they do reflect history. Perhaps we need to have an ongoing conversation about acknowledging the wrongness of of the of the slavery, of wrongness of everything that that you know followed slavery, segregation, and and all the struggles we faced. But tearing down our history doesn't change any of the history that was there. It just it seems to feed an anger that it, that is unhealthy. So here's my we have a minute and a half in this segment. I want to ask you guys this: Trump has tried and said I don't know how many times. I'm, I'm, you know, I do not support. I, I, he's denounced white supremacism. He's denounced um, racism. He's denounced you know, inequality. Blah blah blah. And so he keeps getting pressed to denounce it again, to say again somehow more firmly how much. Do you think? So my question: Do you think he said enough, or would it help him to do one more kind of public? I take. We should not. I'm against racism speech. It doesn't matter what he does. 
it I mean it, on this subject it doesn't matter. So um I mean the left has marching orders and they're going to fight and just the fact he has an R behind his name it doesn't matter who is sitting in the White House. You know, you might have seen the other day where you had both Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz put out Twitter uh, mm-hmm. comments very similar to that. And if you look down the comments, you had people say, well, I'm glad they said it, but I don't believe them. Mm-hmm. So they're sure. saying this about Marco Rubio. Yeah. They're saying this about Ted Cruz. So it's not surprising they said it about Donald Trump. Right. There's, there's only so many right. people that you can appease by saying it so many times. You can't mollify individuals who are already convinced that you're a racist. No evidence to the contrary is going to change their mind. I couldn't agree more. And I do. I feel like we're really struggling as a country on this because it seems to be we the Russian hoax story didn't work out that the left trying to attack Trump. So now they've got the country worked into a tizzy about racism and, and you know, that Trump must be a racist because he hasn't adequately in words that the left has approved firmly enough denounce racism. I think he's got nowhere to go on this. I think you ought to just stop talking about it and just say, I've I've said my statements and I'm done and we're going to move forward. We come back after this impending break. I'm going to read you some astonishing quotes and make you try to guess who said this. Don't go away. On August 2nd, 2006, Debbie Lee was notified that her son, Mark Allen Lee, had been killed, becoming the first Navy SEAL to lose his life in Iraq. She had no choice about the news that was given to her, but she did have a choice how she responded. In response to her son's amazing last letter, she founded America's Mighty Warriors to honor the sacrifices of our troops, the fallen, and their families by providing programs that improve quality of life, resiliency, and recovery. Whether America's Mighty Warriors is hosting retreats for families of the fallen, helping heroes heal who are struggling with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress disorder, providing relaxation at the Heroes Hope Home, stepping in when an injustice is committed, or doing random acts of kindness. As Mark mentioned in his letter, they know the price of freedom and who pays it. Our troops and families of the fallen need your support. Visit americasmightywarriors.org today to learn more. That's americasmightywarriors.org. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. 
Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Contrary to my instructions, no one has purchased for me a magic time machine to somehow give me more time in this two hours. So we're about out of time. I do want to thank, but we have great content coming up. Don't go away. But I want to thank the sponsor of our show. Uh, our, our show, America Can We Talk, is sponsored by GC Works, which is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Could not do the show without them. Thank you very, very much. Okay, so I'm going to read you this quote, and then I'll tell you who said it. And I already told them the answer, so you guys cannot guess. Okay, okay. this is a quote from a—I'll uh, just tell you. Here is a— um, a powerful oration before a crowd of more than 3,000 people, blank, made the case for remembering and studying the lives of Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson. World Wars One and Two found the North and South fighting for common cause, and the generalship displayed by these two great men in the war between the states lived on and were applied in the military plans of our nation and the Pacific areas. So who do you think said that? Probably some nasty evil Republican, right? Okay, how about Nancy Pelosi's father, Democrat Thomas D'Alessandro Jr., mayor of Baltimore from 1947 to 1959? He was there too long. Okay, but a Democrat could say that, and that was okay. This kind of gets me to maybe to wrap up the statues and move on to something else. I think this whole statute thing, pulling down statues and discussing Christopher Columbus and Robert E. Lee and whoever's statues— This is a moral outrage in this country. When you really consider what is the cause of, you know, black poverty in America, what is the cause of the fact that there are low-income communities that have a concentration of black population that do not get adequate education, that do not participate in the American dream, that have higher unemployment rates? Is it really these statues that haven't said a word ever in their lives, these statues? 
they I know they're just symbols, but the real causes of poverty in America are policies put in place by the Democrat Party back from the time they were the ones supporting slavery through the time they were the ones supporting segregation through the era now when the Democrat Party has just lived and breathed creating poverty in this country through their well, their welfare programs through the Great Society, starting Linda B. Johnson, programs that have embedded poverty in low-income America, embedded a poverty mindset, and the policies of the Democrat Party today that simply lives to divide this country into balkanized, hyphenated groups. This is the cause of the, the challenges faced in, in America today and the challenges to race relations. It is not statues, historic statues of some people who have been long dead. And this is like, a, it seems like it's like a Democrat play. It is like, don't, heaven forbid, voters in this country start to realize what absolutely fiscal ruin has been inflicted on America by the Democrat big government social programs. Don't let people focus on that. Let's get them wound up about something that is impossible to change and isn't hurting them now. And you know, folks, this is not mean. I mean, this is the whole battle we have. We have Donald Trump continuing to try to move forward his agenda, and we have the left calling him racist at every turn. And I agree with what both Lori and Kirby said before the break. Nothing Donald Trump will ever say about his opposition to white supremacism, which he has he has expressed and now in dozens of times in speeches. Opposition to white supremacists, opposition to racism, hatred of bigotry, you know, the notion of pulling together as a country. He said this over and over and over. There is no speech he could give that will in any way mollify the people who want to take him down. I'm not saying he is a perfect president or a perfect person. I'm saying this issue, it's a no-win to keep talking about. He ought to just march forward. And I still think citizens should attempt to oppose tearing down all these statues because it really is just, it's very, very, very similar to the book burning the Nazis did, to the Taliban destroying symbols of, of uh, things they didn't like anymore. This is beneath America's behavior. Okay, I'm done on that because we have too many other things. Okay, so I want to. Add, there's a really cool story. Um, and I was sorry to go to. Oh, yeah, I do. Actually, so here's the thing. This is a great thing. The information came uh, in this week. Reports were made by the um, political parties raising money in America. And this is interesting because I want to hear what Lauren Kirby thinks the reason is. But the Democrats have hit rock bottom again. And um, first of all, they have money, money, money's blues. They have not only added to their debt, they now, which now totals $3.4 million. The RNC has no debt. The Republican National Committee, no debt. Democrats are big time in debt. Um, as just one example, the RNC, Republican National Committee, raised $10.6 million in July. And so, but the Democrat National Committee raised only $3.8 million, which is the lowest amount of money the Democrats have ever raised since 2007. So Democrats aren't getting money. Republicans are. Why is that? I was actually shocked that the RNC raised $10.6 million because it seems like, you know, social media, everybody's so sick of the party that everyone has said, I'm going to give money to my guy, you know, to a candidate or my concern, my cause directly instead of giving it to the party. So I was actually surprised at that number. Very surprised. The Democrats, I think, is an explanation that John Fun talked about the other day. There used to be this phrase, no enemies on the left. And when I grew up in Berkeley, I used to hear that. 
And the idea is uh, ultimately that you have union people, you have feminists, you have environmentalists. They're really different kind of people. But you don't say anything negative about those because we build a coalition. Well, the no enemies on the left works real well to build coalitions. Look how Chuck Schumer's kept 48 Democrats together in the United States mm-hmm. Senate. But it's a terrible strategy in terms of public relations because when somebody who is associated with the Democratic Party says something stupid, you're not supposed to criticize them. Republicans are quick to criticize John McCain, you know, and all sorts <laughs> of other individuals. But the Democrats aren't. And so it's hurting the Democrat brand time and time again. You find that uh, you have Democratic leaders saying really stupid things. You have individuals uh, arguing Maxine for Waters. things that aren't going to happen. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. good examples mm-hmm. uh, like that. And it's just hurting the Democratic brand. So like Lori, I was surprised Republicans did so well because mm-hmm. they tend to be now focused on individual candidates. Mm-hmm. But I'm not surprised at all by no, the Democrats because they have hurt their brand. They're yeah. in the same situation Republicans were a few years ago. They're the party of no. Mm-hmm. They have no positive agenda. They're just seen as obstructionist. And it's really hard to really want to go into my pocketbook and support something like that if I'm a Democrat. I got to say, this may be just, you know, wishful thinking, but I do think that the Democrat brand has gone so negative on so many things. They have they're not offering policies, ideas, solutions. They are offering daily just kind of uh, you know a daily blather of the bitterness latest. and hate bitterness I mean, and hate toward yeah. trump toward his supporters toward his voters toward american history to, and, and to anything that that is being done in this country all they offer is bitterness and hate and i think even democrat voters are tired of it i mean even this business about the statues this is not that this doesn't fly to a lot of just reasonable democrats they just what the heck's wrong with these people on the other side what i think about the gop is i think that there are people i agree that you know we're, we're kind of a mindset in our household we'll pick the candidates we like and we'll help we'll support them but you know we, we don't do the party that much but i do think when you're frustrated with with you know tr- you voted for trump he's trying to do his agenda republicans are undermining him it's the only place to give money to there isn't a you know i mean so i, I think it's people just trying to say we actually wanted this republican agenda we voted for and i i i don't know we'll see how it all comes out but i think there's a lot of people livid with the democrats and they're not happy with the failures of mitch mcconnell and paul ryan but there's no place else to give their mind to support trump if they don't get some legislation through this fall, I think your giving to the Republican Party will dry up. But right mm-hmm. now, I think people are still optimistic that maybe we'll get tax reform or something before the next election. Yes, tax reform and Obamacare repeal has got to happen this fall, and I think they're they're going to fight for both of them. Okay, so that was I just thought that was very interesting. Republicans are, are raising money. So one other topic among the competing several in this closing uh, moments of the show. One was that Lori and actually all um, three of us were aware of there's a um, there is a an opening. There will be an opening in the Texas State Senate um, this yeah, next year, this, this session, mm-hmm. this coming session. And there's a kind of surprise candidate has emerged just over there. I saw it in social media a few weeks ago and now it's emerged. So, Lori, you want to Well, it's SD8 and it was originally Ken Paxton Senate District before he ran for attorney general and then van taylor has occupied that seat and he's going to run for congress so phil huffines is the guy that is moving from dallas moving his home into the district so he can uh be a, a, a texas senator well a lot of people aren't happy in the district about him for a lot of reasons i'll say that and i'm one of them uh the rumor 
is that our our fabulous Angela Paxton, uh, wife of Ken Paxton, Attorney General, is contemplating running for that seat. And, you know, not everybody knows her like I do or like you do, Debbie. I mean, there's a lot of us that know her. Let me tell you guys, if you don't know her, she is a fabulous woman. She is brilliant in her own right. She understands the issues, and she is going to be one tough cookie if she runs. And I think she's going to beat his butt. She said a bad <laughs> word on air. Okay, she's in trouble. <laughs> well, you know, this is interesting. You know, I, I will say, I I always try to say I'm pretty much grateful for anyone who will stand up and run for office on the conservative side. I pretty much am. I And so, and I don't live in this district. I live down in a different SD, uh, SD16 uh, here in Texas. But this is an interesting thing shaping up because we have, uh, as we say, the, the sitting and very popular conservative senator now running for U.S. Congress. Mm-hmm. The seat's open. And, and we've never talked in this show. I have not really done a rundown and I need to probably do that soon on what's happening with Ken Paxton, our state attorney general, very, 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 um, you know, well-liked in the conservative ranks, you know, just surprised the daylights out of the state by winning um, the primary and then and then obviously won the general and became our attorney general. And uh, Angela Paxton is his lovely, gracious and really smart and savvy wife. And so she's if she runs, this will be interesting. OK, we're pretty much out of time, but I do want to throw in and I'll just tease you. I'll talk about it next week. I'm so glad to see that the Southern Poverty Law Center is being sued. But just, you know, I, I, I smiled when I saw the title of the article. I mean, and if you don't know, we, we live in a time when, when opinions on the conservative right, whether they relate to marriage, um, life versus not life, um, immigration, all sorts of issues are not divided down the lines of what do you believe versus somebody else believe, but instead the, the left tries to make things into a category of you agree with the left-wing view or you're a hater. Well, Southern Poverty Law Center has taken that approach on steroids, and they are, they are now being sued and told, you know what, you can't do this anymore. So they're being sued by a group that's saying you can't be calling us a hater. And on that note, I think um, he's talking in my ear. We, I don't know, I have 30... Thank you very much. Debbie George Jazz, America Can We Talk. We talk truth about America. Come back every week. Bye. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America Can We Talk. Truth About America. Bye.